Hey there, Coach. You've heard of ESPN's 30 for 30, right? That's the show where they take a lot of time and dig in deep to some really interesting sports stories, really great documentaries that they produce. I love watching them, and I'm sure you've watched them too. Well, we wanted to take that same concept here. We wanted to give a couple of coaches the chance to really dig deep into the topics that mattered to them and get answers that were relevant for them. The problem was we didn't have ESPN's budget, so we couldn't do 30. We decided to do three. We're having three coaches ask three in-depth questions each and get three in-depth answers. And I think you're going to like it, but before we get into that, let's uh, take care of some opening business first. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, Starbucks Ice Tea Addict and America's college recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. So, like I was saying, this is going to be kind of the poor man's 30 for 30. We're calling it 3 for 3, and... This is, I think that's going to be something that we'll do every couple of weeks because I really enjoyed it. And I think you're going to really enjoy the next uh, hour or so. And here's where this got started. The, the, the idea was this. Uh, we do a lot of on-campus recruiting workshops. It's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, I'm getting ready to start the 2017 tour, as we call it here in the office, uh, next week with a school uh, in Virginia. And... I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It's, it's where we get to go onto campus, do a lot of in-depth research specifically for that campus, that athletic department, and those coaches. And then we turn around and we can produce training specifically for them and match it up to what we see nationally going on with uh, recruiting data and how recruits make their decisions. And it ends up being this really great two-day session. And on the second day, and I'm, I'm explaining this in case you haven't had us to campus, but if you've had us to campus, you know how this works. On day two, we take uh, the chance to sit down with coaches in usually small groups of one or two or three sports at a time, and we spend the whole day answering their questions based on what it was that we talked about the day before, the training that they got, the research that we did with their school, and it's fascinating. And I cannot tell you over the last 13 years how many times that I've, I've been listening to these really intelligent questions from coaches and, and hearing the interaction we have back and forth and thinking to myself, you know, if I was smart, I would just put a microphone here in the middle of the table and just record all day long because this is stuff that every coach needs to hear. And we can't do that really because we get really specific into what is uh, what are the hurdles at that particular school or what the problems uh, that, that are occurring with that particular coaching staff. So we don't want to uh, put that on display for the world to see. But, but conceptually, we really wanted to take some time to, uh, to let everybody hear what these questions were. Well, now that we are doing the podcast uh, and we're getting such a great response, and I really appreciate that. Uh, it means the world to me that this is really impacting you and uh, that, that you're using it to get better as a recruiter. But since we started doing this, it actually gives us the venue to enable coaches to come in and just ask questions. So we did it, 
and and I think you're kind of really like uh, the, the, how it just turned out and the information that you get because we got three coaches to ask three questions each, hence the term three for three. And uh, this is what we're going to do the, for the whole show. And uh, we'll get to that in a second and and you'll get deep into their conversations. Uh, two quick, really quick announcements first. If you want us to come to your campus and conduct this kind of training and spend two days really in an in-depth, personal, uh, close, very specific way on your school's campus, talk to your athletic director, have him contact us. You can go to the website dantutor.com or email me dan at dantutor.com. We would love to schedule that. Even if you've had us uh, to campus before, and maybe it's been a couple of years, there is so much that has changed in uh, what we do and the training that we do. Uh, We would love to come back and update you because as you know, recruiting never stops evolving and changing, and we would love to get you updated training. So just a little plug for what we do as we start our 2017 tour around the country. Uh, Like I said, that starts next week, and I'm looking forward to it. But I would love to add your campus to the list as well. So you might want to ask your athletic director about that and then have him either go to the website and get the overview uh, on our conferences tab or just email me and I can get him or her information uh, specific to what uh, what we could do for your campus. So that's announcement number one. Announcement number two, we are taking now early registrations for the 2017 National Collegiate Recruiting Conference, which, as we announced last week, is at Duke University, uh, adjacent to Cameron Indoor Stadium. And if you're a sports nut, if you are a fan of college history, we're, we're sort of setting the bar pretty high. I'm not sure how we're going to duplicate this in, in the years to come. But the, the goal is we want to get out of the hotel meeting room setting and really try to give coaches who haven't been to some of these iconic campuses and iconic venues on campuses the chance to experience it. So we're going to meet over three days at Duke University. We're going to be in uh, one of their halls adjacent to their Hall of Fame, which is right next to Cameron Indoor Stadium. Uh, we're going to get the chance to shoot some hoops on the floor of Cameron Indoor Stadium. So, And besides all that, some fantastic speakers, some excellent coaches were lining up to speak on how they recruit. Uh, we're bringing in, as usual, experts from around the country, and it's an opportunity for me to take uh, some teaching points and, and do things on an expanded basis for all of you there um, at, at NCRC. So you can go to our, our, our conferences page at dantutor.com. It'll lead you to the area where you can sign up. We have a, a big early registration discount that is good through the end of February 2017. Make plans to attend, Coach. If you, if you haven't been to one, uh, it is unlike any kind of training or any kind of coaches conference that you've ever been to. At least that's the feedback that coaches give us every year. And if you have been to it, this will be a year to come back because it's our 10th anniversary of holding these annual summer recruiting conferences. We have switched it to midweek. It's June 6th through the 8th. So if you have commitments on the weekend, either competitions uh, and uh, you know, postseason stuff that you're doing, or if it's just busy recruiting weekends, hopefully you can fit it in around that. We have moved it to the be, uh, to the middle of the week. So check that out. We'd love to have you because it's just an excellent time. Uh, with that being said, let's jump into this. This is some in-depth questions and answers, so I'm not promising this is going to be a quick podcast, but you're going to get a lot out of it. So let's jump right into it. 
Okay, as we get into the question and answer session here on 3 for 3, let's meet the three coaches that are participating. The first one is Thad Sankey, the head women's basketball coach at Concordia University in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, Thad, if you want to follow him on Twitter, is at Thad Sankey, T-H-A-D-S-A-N-K-E-Y, and uh, asked great questions. You'll, you'll hear that in just a moment. The second participant was Owen Handy. He is the head men's basketball coach at Anderson University. On Twitter, he is at Owen underscore Handy. And thirdly, we had uh, Garrett McLaughlin, who is a Division I assistant football coach at Wagner College. Uh, they participate in FCS, so formerly Division I AA. And uh, he was the third member of our, our panel. And how this works is we had all of them uh, basically talking back and forth with one another. They got to ask three questions at a time, and you'll hear some of the time they'll interact with each other, and that's the purpose of this is to let coaches talk because, as I mentioned uh, before, the, the when we go through and, and have time on campuses, I think one of the most valuable parts of getting coaches to meet and, and, and hear each other's questions is that sometimes they have better answers to their peers' questions than I do. And it's just a great uh, time to see coaches interact with one another. And again, we wanted to bring that into a broader audience. So uh, instead of having three coaches from the same college do it privately, we opened up this forum. And it was really great to hear these three coaches uh, interact and also answer each other's questions and give feedback for uh, for one another and that's again the forum that we put forward so you're going to hear uh, these three coaches ask questions and it's important to note I did not know what the questions were ahead of time uh, so these were not pre-screened I didn't know what they were going to ask they're going to get my answers on the fly and I think that is again one of the more interesting aspects to what we want to do with our three for three segment so all that being said let's jump into it and we'll um, talk to uh, one of the uh, or each of the coaches. And uh, first up was Coach Owen Handy from Anderson University. So, Coach Owen Handy, I'm going to start with you. Uh, fire away with your three questions. Okay, great. Thanks, Dan. So, uh, my first question for you uh, is about the importance of involving our current players in the recruiting process. And I'm wondering if you can talk about some ways other than just visits that we can involve our current players in uh, in the recruiting process. Great question to start things off with. Um, and I, I'm glad that you said, you know, aside from uh, having them be involved on the campus visit side of things, because we've done a lot of, obviously, articles and, and talks on that. And so that is a whole separate subject. So this is we'll try to approach this creatively. Um, I think, you know, just backing up a second, philosophically what your prospects are really trying to figure out are, are two core things. Number one, do I, do I like the coach and do I think that I could get along with him or with her uh, as my coach? That's number one. And number two, and it's not really even, you know, they're, they're basically tied as the top two important things, is do I get along with the girls on the team, the guys on the team, um, that's that's what they're there to try to figure out. And through the recruiting process, that's what they're trying to get a sense of. Very common when a prospect steps on campus that one of the first questions they ask the athletes 
once you're not around anymore is, okay, so what's coach really like? And they want to get the inside scoop on you. Well, they're doing the same thing with your athletes. They're trying to figure out what I, the other young women on this team, what I want to play with them. The guys on this team, do I think I could get along with them? The, I think the challenge becomes, and where I think this is such a good question, is that they're trying to figure this out before they get to campus, too. They're trying to make some assessments on what would it be like to play with those guys, or I wonder what that team is like. And so one of the things that I would recommend, certainly if, if a coach was our client, one of the things that I would recommend is to turn over quite often the social media to the younger kids on your team. And what I mean by that is that let them have days, let them have control of at least the video that gets recorded or the ideas that that they come up with for social media. Hand that over to them frequently because they know what is going to be fun. They know what kids their age are going to are is, are going to gravitate to. And I would do that specifically with the freshmen, maybe the sophomores on your team, the younger, uh, the younger kids, because they're going to be closer in age and, and a little more connected with the prospects you're recruiting on the high school and club side of things. So the, um, I think w- one of the things that I see in monitoring and following a lot of coaches on social media is that we as adults tend to be sort of focused on the facts of the school or um, the mechanics of, of the process and where the program's at and, hey, we've got a big game coming up, and it's really all sports-related. When you turn it over to your athletes, what you're going to find is that very little of, it, little of it has to do with the actual sport and what's going on in the season and that type of thing. They're going to center around the fun, the social side of things. Um, a couple of years ago, the there was a real big um, – we did an article on it, but it was all over the news when – the Harvard men's uh, baseball team was in a van uh, coming back from a game and uh, were on sort of spur of the moment, did the lip syncing and sort of choreography in the van to uh, the, the Call Me Maybe song. And, you know, I don't know if you remember that, but that was, you know, it got millions of views. And, and then another team um, at uh, SMU copied that and they sort of had this little back and forth war and all these other uh, programs then started to do this the lip syncing and and stuff well a coach wouldn't have come up with that and it didn't take it wasn't like that was a, a planned deal it's just that they had this long bus ride and we're gonna you know let's kill some time and they came up with this uh this this thing and and so that's more the flavor that i think your prospects are looking for which is do these do, do the men and women on these teams, do they have fun? Is it fun to go play for there? And I think the coaches sometimes get so focused on, uh, is this kid good enough? And are they going to help our program? And what's it going to do for you know our season you know, three years from now? And that's all well and good, and I, I get that. But I think these athletes are looking and saying, look, I've got it willed down to these five or six or three schools and I think I could play at all of them. There's something to like about each one of them, but that's. But I want to know: Am I going to have fun there? Because a lot of these players too are coming from uh, from club programs, or maybe they've switched club teams five or six times over the last nine years of playing, and they are you know, they don't want to make those mistakes. They know they can't switch easily when it gets to college, so they're really trying to get you know a flavor for. For what the team is like so my first recommendation would be 
have times where you let them either record a video or um, do something that's that's you know more focused on their age group. And of course, you can have final edit. I'm not saying you know turn it over and let them do live live broadcasting necessarily, um, because I don't want you to get fired. But uh, but I also <laughs> thank you. I, yeah, you're welcome. That's <laughs> uh, the least I could do. But the but I do want them to get a sense that there is that it's not just the coach top down running what the story is about the program. I want it to be that we're all in this together, and there's a lot of different viewpoints, um, and that's the one thing that I think is uh is is great there is a lot of years ago um while it was still a popular show the mtv cribs show we had clients and and we saw other coaches doing it as well that would you know let kids sort of do a contest of you know do an mtv crib style interview or tour of their dorm room and of course you know most kids don't have much in their dorm room so it was sort of funny to make them just let them see, like try to figure out how do I how do I make this place look great when it's not that maybe maybe not that great, but the, the whole point of that was let kids have fun, let them showcase themselves, and we as adults sometimes forget how important that is for teenagers to understand that wow I really you know I I think I could play with them the the guys on the team look fun, but the other thing that it's going to do for you when you do more of that is it's actually going to prompt more campus visits. So Because once they get to sort of know the personalities of the people, and that thought goes in their head, hey, they look like that'd be, they're fun to hang out with. I think I'd like to be hang out with them. Mm-hmm. Um, then you, you prompt them. It moves it to the next level, which is, okay, now I'm ready to take the visit because it's taken some of the mystery out. It's not, it's not am I going to like the, the guys on the team? It's, or what, what are they like? What are the young women on the team like when you know when I'm going to be on campus and that sort of intimidates me and scares me? Do I want to risk not liking them and, and having an awkward day in front of me? But when you put it out on video, when you let them you know showcase themselves via social media, um, then I think uh, that that kind of takes that away. And then the other thing is you know again depending on division level of the coach that's listening to this, you know having them having the players write a note, having the players. Um, uh, you know, follow up after the visit happens. You know, make sure that your players connect with social media, and that's why I think the younger athletes in a program that you coach are great and better to be the ones that have the main interaction with the prospect because they're more likely to then follow each other on Instagram or follow each other on on Twitter or Snapchat with each other. And you know, I've had a lot of times where we've had a client and um, we're trying to figure out is this is this kid. Uh, is this prospect going to come to the school, or how was their visit, and uh, and where are they at in the process? And they don't say much to the coach. And we've had a number of times where the coach may casually mention something in front of one of their players that hosted that athlete when they were on campus, and the athlete says something like, "Oh yeah, you know they're they're coming. They're they're going to commit here, but they have one more visit. They just don't want to tell you yet, coach. But yeah, they're going to come. They, she told me she'd commit. You know, probably in another two or three weeks." Well, that's the kind of interaction you'll have if you let your players be involved and, and give up some of the power of of the story. Um, so, did that, Owen, did that make sense? Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Okay. I love that last phrase you used, give up the power of the story, um, because they've got a different story to tell than we do, right? A different Or a different perspective on the same right. story that's much more relatable um, for, for our prospects. So, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Thanks. 
Yeah, yeah. no problems. Yeah. And and Owen, something that I found too as I as I learn recruiting and, and improve at it is, you know, knowing knowing my girls and, and the why question, why are my current girls here on campus? Like why why did these ladies choose to be here? I can start talking to my recruit about it too. Well, you know why our ladies come here? Well here here's a couple of reasons why. Or, you know, here's somebody here's one of the ladies that you know, that you know on our team and, and she's here because of these two reasons, you know, this is this is what we talked about, and um, I feel like it helps those conversations get started too, but also shows that, you know, Owen, like you're plugged in with your guys, you yeah. know, you understand why your guys are here. It's not just a random, you know, a random decision. Well, I'll, I'll jump in with one more quick thing uh, that it also I think showcases when you do that that you're not afraid to let your players speak for themselves or let them have fun. Because one of the other questions that we see on campus visits when we monitor and we evaluate afterwards for a client, we'll, we'll hear a one of the complaints be, you know, hey, tell coach to back off a little bit. He doesn't have to be or she doesn't have to be around all the time. Uh, because when you do that, one of the questions that comes up from prospects a lot of the time is, what are, are they? do they always you know watch you this close? Are they always around? Do they let you have any fun? So I think, again, when you when you let them sort of act out on their own in a supervised way, you know, behind the scenes. But when they, when you give up some control and maybe let them put something out or do a video that's funny that you wouldn't necessarily do as a as an adult coach, but you very much understand why a kid would want to do that. Uh, I think it showcases the fact that you're comfortable with who you are, who they're, who they are, and you trust them, and that's just a good overall feeling I think to give uh, a prospect. Mm-hmm. Owen, question number two. What do you got? Yeah, so question number two uh, is, so thinking about, you know, being a part of the digital electronic age, and, you know, I'm 35, so I'm sort of on the cusp of that, but not deeply a part of it. Um, Are my calls and my letters still of value, or should I be thinking about transitioning to be completely digital and electronic with my recruiting? Another fantastic question, and one especially on the letter side that we get all the time, um, here's how I'd answer that. First of all, I you know f- do f- do phone calls matter? I'll take them in order of of, of kind of how you brought those two two aspects up. Yeah, I think phone calls matter later in the process. One of the things that we've sort of uncovered is, that that is a challenge at the start, and I'm sure both of you as basketball coaches uh, have experienced this, is that at the start of the process, I think as adults as a coach. We would want to jump out and say, I want to have personal contact and show them that I'm that interested because I want to spend time with them on the phone. That's in, in our adult world, that's you know, we, we can get together. I would much rather have a phone call than text back and forth with you, um, uh, you know, on you know on an ongoing basis. Teenagers, however, don't necessarily want that. And what they are more, I think, leery of is the coach that wants to talk right away and ask a bunch of questions that they don't know the answers to when they're just not a generation that's grown up talking on the phone. So talking on the phone actually is pretty intimidating, and that's why so many coach calls go to voicemail. So what I would, uh, what, what I would do is, is focus on text messaging um, later, uh, I'm sorry, earlier in the process, and as you get deeper into the process, then I think you can add in phone calls. But I would very much focus on 
on the um, on the 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 text messaging back and forth and getting them comfortable just with interacting with you. Um, I would I would much rather do that uh, at the at the start and be okay with that. And then as you get that relationship developed, then I think you could introduce the phone call. So I think phone calls aren't dead. It's just that I would want you and any coach to understand that they should probably move those back and and put those towards the back of the comp- of the relationship. Um, you're going to find that they're more ready to talk to you in the last half of the relationship versus the first half. On the second point, um, with letters, uh, we just did this big study um, focused initially on uh, volleyball prospects, but then we expanded it out to um, to all um, uh, all of our our all different sports. And we did a podcast on this um, in an earlier episode, so you can look that up if you're listening to this podcast on how they want that first contact and what is the right way to uh, to, to generate that first contact. And again, I think you know, you're asking the question because you're thinking this generation is so electronically oriented. Does paper still matter? <clears throat> and I think one of the things that uh, certainly that our clients recognize is the value of, of, of paper mail uh, is, is even, I think, more impactful now than it was 10 years ago because so many coaches have stopped doing it that the ones that have continued really make an impact. Um, this study that we did uh, was in the eighth episode of the podcast, and the title was Creating a Balanced Recruiting Message. And this is a talk that I gave at the American Volleyball Coaches Association convention when we when we did the study, 17% of the total message uh, for the class of 2016, the freshmen that are uh, as we record this now are on campuses uh, during their freshman year in college, they wanted 17% of that message to be paper mail. Now that's not a so let's just say one you know it's about you know it's rounded up to 20%. Uh, that means 80% needs to be something, some other type of messaging, but 20% needed to be mail. So if they don't like it, why would they? Why would they want it to be? Um, uh, want it to be that you know that amount in terms of, of what what percentage of an overall message would they would they want mail to be? And it was 17%. Um, it's valuable for them because when you send a piece of mail to them. It's proof that you're interested, and it shows that you're serious about them. And the other wording that they use when we interview them and, and do these focus group studies is that they say, "I know it's official. I know that they are. That I know that it's real because they sent me this piece of paper. It, there's your signature. They've got the logo, and a piece of paper is is real. You know, you, you know, it's it's tangible. You can you can feel it. You can hear it. You can um, you can." hold it and they keep it they never throw away their mail if it's signed by you it's going to stick around and i think that has value whereas everything electronic you know this is you know this in our world you swipe it away on your phone you put it in another you know folder on your uh you know on your computer you can delete it and it's so temporary it's just pixels and is that real letters are real in this study that we did the interesting thing was i mentioned mail was at 70 percent of the overall message when we when we researched it, social media only comprised 15% of an overall message, and phone calls were only 7%. So 
mail was actually behind email and texting, the third most popular way to comprise an overall message. Um, so, so going back to the core of your question, should you move away from those things? No, I think both of them have value. I think it's really just repositioning them and understanding that this generation wants to use each one of those aspects a little bit differently maybe than, than generations uh, that, uh, that have been in the past. Okay, great. So it's about, it's about using it correctly. It's not about not using it at all. Uh, absolutely. And, and I think, again, one of the mistakes that coaches make, you know, again, I'll go back to, to hard copy mail to letters is, oh, these kids are on their phone all the time. They don't want to read a letter. Or I'm, I've sent out letters in the past, and they just stopped reading them. They don't react to them. Well, they stopped reading them because they were horrible letters. <laughs> they were boring. Right. <laughs> they, were, they talked about stuff that the kids weren't interested in. If you talk about them and you make it about them and you do it with some consistency uh, rather than only once at the beginning of the process and you pack everything you can into one eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, that's then they'll respond. Then it becomes valuable. Then they, it's proof that you're more serious about them than other coaches. And that's, again, what what we want. So the message that you would put in a letter, uh, the way that you write it and what it contains is really the important thing, not so much that it's coming on paper versus on their phone. So your third question, Owen, fire away. Okay, last question is, um, is, is this one. I would like to know um, what is something I'm probably not doing right now that I should be doing? What are you... Um, you are talking to me on this podcast instead of calling kids or messaging kids that you really want mm -hmm. and that you are ready to hear a yes from but you haven't asked them to commit yet. Uh, I cannot, and if, if someone's listening to this and you've had a, um, you've had us on campus and sometimes we'll actually walk coaches through this challenge of explaining why kids, um, are, uh, are ready to say yes. So they need to be asked to say yes. And that some of them are ready and just waiting to, um, to say yes. So they're just waiting for a coach to ask, um, one of the things that we that we do is not every time, but oftentimes, if we sense that a coaching group would would want this, is that we challenge them: pick two or three people tonight to call and ask them if they're ready to commit. And we get a couple of coaches that'll raise their hands usually and commit to doing this, and we sort of put them on the spot in front of the group, tell us about who they're going to ask, and we we make the case and we teach them how to do this before we ask them to do it. But but when we ask them, I think they're nervous about, oh my gosh, I I, you know, am I going to make them angry? Am I going to um, ruin my chances with this athlete by asking for the commitment? And the next day, they come back, and all of them are amazed. They tell stories of kids that either committed or tell them that, no, I actually I committed to this school you know, a month and a half ago, and I'm not, you know, so thanks, coach, but no thanks. And they get all these answers and all this information. And... I think one of the biggest ways that coaches fail in recruiting and hurt themselves in the process is that they don't actively look for kids to give them answers on whether or not they feel like they're ready to commit to a school. Mm -hmm. And 
you can go onto our website and there's because I could spend probably the next two hours talking about how you to do this and and what some of the 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 little details are around it. But I mean, there's there's research out there that we've done that you can easily access that's free on our website. The um, I, I think kids need to be directed and not enough coaches force their kids to tell them yes or no. And there's a lot of kids that are right now on every coach's list that have decided there's no way ever that I'm going to go to that school. But you know what? Coach is nice. I don't want to make him mad. Um, they were nice to me on campus. So maybe if I just don't talk to them or maybe if I tell them, yeah, coach, you're still under my top five, that's easier than telling them, no, coach, I've ruled you out. And again, where I think that hurts the coach is that you then don't take an accurate uh, an accurate view towards your own list and you're waiting for that number one, number two kid to say yes. They've already decided they're not coming and finally when they tell you there's nobody left below them and now you have to maybe bring a kid onto your roster that, that d- not only doesn't help but could hurt you long term. So again, to answer the thing, that to answer the question that you asked, uh, Owen, I would very much encourage any coach that when you, in your mind, have a kid that you desperately want on your team, that you've decided, I want him, there's no question. If they called for some reason today and said, Coach, I'm in, can I come play for you, um, that we would be happy and and I want that kid. There's no more evaluation to be done, I know. When it reaches that level, I think at that point, you need to start asking for a commitment and basically saying uh, to them, you know, here's why we like you. Here's what um, you know. Here's the way I think you're going to fit in in our program, and so I'm calling to find out if you feel like you're ready to commit. Um, you're not saying I need an answer. You're not saying do you want to play here. Do you feel like you're ready to commit? And I all I'm going to tell you is that if you try that, you will you will get feedback that you've never heard before. You will not be pressuring them. Again, in these settings in a workshop, that I'm in front of an audience, I'm in front of an athletic department, and if if I knew that it was going to come back and be a disaster the next day, why in the world would I have coaches do that and, and put myself out there? But I know what the reaction is going to be from the kids is finally a coach is telling me here's how I do it, and finally here's a coach that's proving that they're interested. Um, and the other little side thing, the other little benefit is that even if they're not ready to commit – because um, I think you'll probably get, if you had to break it down percentage-wise, 20% would say yes, and I'm committed. About probably 50% would say, Ugh, I'm not quite sure yet, but here's what's going on, and another 30% would tell you no. That 50% that would say, Coach, I'm not sure, I'm still deciding, they'll follow that up with, here's what's going on, and they'll tell you things that they've never told you before. They'll tell you who else they're looking at. They'll tell, they're will tell they telling you who else they're going to go visit, and they don't tell you until you ask them to commit. So instead of being on this podcast, Owen, you should have been uh, asking kids if they're ready to commit. Yes, good. <laughs> Thank you. Great, great, great insight. Yeah. And, and Dan, what you talk about, what I found is, um, Owen, I'm sure you experience it too, is efficiency on our end is such a big, um, a big factor in terms of being a um, effective recruiter and so um, if the kid's going to tell us no tell, you know, tell me now that, that would be great right. you know, it'll save them time, it'll save us time we're not working on wondering you know, will they be part of our program or putting time into the recruiting process um, you know, <clears throat> I've had times where I've asked 
a lady or a family in the first week of recruiting them? Like, are you, will you be serious about our program or, or, you know, yes or no, essentially. And, and kind of invited them to tell me no. And sometimes you get it. And sometimes, you know, they say, no, coach, we're, we're really, really interested. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just, there's so many benefits. It's, it's the number one way to get information from a kid. And, and also coaches are always surprised because every time we do this in a group, there's usually two or three commitments that coaches end up getting. And um, so, and I, you know, I wish I could tell some of the stories that I've seen unfold with coaches that didn't realize they had that kind of power. And now once you start doing that, then it's sort of addictive and you, you can't stop. So um, just, just, just try it. Yeah, follow-up question to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Being, well. a, being a Division three school where I can't, you know, put an offer together for them, do I need to wait until after they have their financial aid to ask that question? Or is that a question I can ask before, which maybe leads to questions about finances and leads to questions that are going to help us, um, you know, recruit them better over the next couple of months until they have financial aid? Yep. And if I'm in front of a Division three school and I've given them that challenge, that's probably the first objection that I get or the first hand yeah. that gets raised, ask that question. So smart question. And my answer to that would be you're not asking them when, – when you ask the question, you're asking them if they feel like they're ready to commit. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that they can afford it. That doesn't mean that they don't need more information. It just gives you an indication of – uh, of where there's number one, where they're sort of standing with everything, and number two, if there are aspects of it that's that's in their way. So, for instance, let's just say that that coach, I, I really like a lot about your program, but I don't have my final numbers yet, and my dad's really worried about whether or not I could afford, uh, whether or not we could afford the school. Um, they're hoping this, um, but I'm, when we did the net price calculator, it said I was going to have to pay this. It is still going to give you information on whether or not you have a realistic shot of getting them. And, um, you know, and again, the net price calculator, uh, if you have your kids do that and you're at, at a Division three school, what you're able to say is, you know, if they ask that question or I'm not sure if I'm ready um, because I don't know how much it's going to cost. I, I don't have my numbers back from FAFSA yet. And, you know, the logical follow-up then is, well, have you filled out the net price calculator? Yes, I have. What did it say you were going to have to pay? Well, it said we were going to have to come up with $15,000. Let's just pull in a number out of the air as an example. What you can then do is ask them the question, okay, well, if it turned out to be that you would have to pay $15,000, do you feel like number one you could do that and and that you would be ready to commit to come play here for that so because you'll find out if you ask this question you'll find that sometimes the kids response is oh coach you know no we we need a full ride i mean we need everything paid for i can't we can't afford any of it um so can you can you work out something like that and they don't understand that you can't and that the net price calculator is there because it actually is a good estimate but when so when you have that number, then you're able to ask them. Well, if it turns out to be around that number in a couple of months, do you feel like you could? Is that something that you know that you guys could do? Because the answer is either yes or no, and it gives you a way to move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, because how many times at a Division three school has the coach waited and waited? It's the perfect fit, and at the very end of the day, at the very last thing they find out is, oh, you know what? We needed all of it paid for to be able to come here, and. To know that eight months, twelve months earlier would have been really Pretty nice helpful. and and saved you a lot of time. Yeah, great. 
that, I want to move over to you. Um, so uh, your questions, go ahead and, uh, and fire them away. And Owen, as you have feedback, feel free to, to chime in. Yeah, Dan, um, I've seen more and more parent involvement within the recruiting process. Uh, as a coach, the importance of involving parents. And uh, on the family side, the willingness, uh, let's say, for the parents to be involved in the process. What's the difference or, or how is the approach different in terms of initiating conversation with a parent or a family member versus you know the recruit, the lady? Right. Uh, I think that... All right, that is going to wrap up the show. We want to thank our three guests, Coach Sankey, Coach Handy, and Coach McLaughlin. Great questions. Thank you for being a part of our first ever three for three. For everybody else, go to dantutor.com for all sorts of resources and for the conference registration. And until next week, we hope you have a great week out there recruiting, Coach. First of all, I think there's this general attitude among college coaches that, yes, we know we need to have the relationship with the parent, but I really wish I could just talk to the kid because that's who I want to coach. In fact, I, once we get them, I really don't want – I'd like their parents to sort of be at this arm's length distance away, and I don't want to have to answer questions for the parent. And there's, I think, this also – there's this idea or fear in the back of the mind of the coach is that if I develop a really good relationship with the parent – how do I sever that once the kid becomes a member of my team and I don't really want to be talking to dad every week about the plays we ran and the playing time and, and, and his or her role on the team? What I'm going to tell you is that with this generation of athlete, the majority of them, nothing's universal, but the majority of them would look at their parents and say, not only do I want mom and dad to be involved, but I expect them to be involved in the process. And when a coach doesn't involve them, it, it seems odd to the kid. Now, again, that might be different from our three, our generations that, that we're from. Um, 
but for this generation, it really does matter that mom and dad are involved for the most part. And, and more, and, and even more than that, all of our research shows that they listen to mom and dad's opinion and will, um, uh, will follow it in terms of who they eventually choose to go to the school or even who they decide to visit. You're at a Division three school um, or a smaller school that doesn't offer uh, paid uh, visits to campus. I have to tell you that mom and dad are making the decision on where the visit happens and if that happens. So sure. if yep. I'm, I would want, uh, I would want mom and dad to know that I value them and we want to meet them and talk to them because more than likely mom and dad are going to bring the athlete to campus. So they're, like it or not, they're important, an important part of the decision making process. Yeah. The um, the other I think part of it is that um, that I would. If, if, if there was one strategy that I could recommend, the strategy I'd recommend would be that instead of calling the um, parent, I'm sorry, instead of calling the athlete first, I might call, and if I reach the parent, I would have a conversation with the parent as well. Um, hey, I'm going to just really quickly, Owen, can you try muting your microphone there on the right-hand side of the screen? Yep. Okay. Yeah, we were. Go anytime you want to talk. Just go ahead and unmute it. But we were getting a little bit of feedback from that mic, so I'll I'll edit this part out. Um, in uh, once we once we do that, but it was just I was hearing a little bit of a buzzing. I don't know if you were hearing that, Thad. Yeah, I could. I I just caught it in the middle of that last response okay. of yours. Okay. So just Owen, whenever you want to chime in, just unmute it and then mute it again, so that we're getting a little bit of like a buzzing or a, a vibration from your uh, mic. Um, yeah. So, Dan, on that, can I ask Owen just a follow-up? Like, is it yeah. different for guys than you know men than women? I go ahead, Owen. What? what no, yeah, go ahead, Owen. Yeah. What's your Owen, feedback? Like, Owen, on on uh, in your experience, you know, I'm I'm working with women's basketball. Is it is the parent inclusion in the recruiting process different for men uh, for a men's sport than a women's sport? You know, I would say my experience has been that parents are. Um, more involved maybe than they were 10 years ago uh, but I also hear from parents a lot the feedback you know if, if I'm asking their thoughts on things or asking mm -hmm. what you know what big questions do you have a phrase I hear a lot is well here's what I think but ultimately it's up to right Jimmy to make the decision this is going to be his decision yeah so it's an interesting balance where I feel like parents are more involved and are more influential in the final decision and yet verbally are telling me that they're not going to be. Sure. So that's an interesting, I think, balance. And obviously you want to take their word on that, but recognize at the same time that they are still influential, that, the, that their son still wants their opinion. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that, that we try to do that Dan talks about is asking the prospect, hey, what are you hearing from your parents about this? What, you know, what advice are they offering? So we're kind of getting that feedback from both sides. And and just to jump into my my sense is that parents know that most coaches view them as a necessary evil in the process, and most and they're smart. They've read the stuff about you know the helicopter parents and parents are making too much of a decision and they need to give more freedom to their child. So I find that they're actually overly sensitive to that criticism, and so you know you know with um, kind of with what. Uh, uh, Owen, that you just mentioned, 
you know, they're very quick to tell a coach, you know, oh, it's his decision. We're, we're letting him make the decision. Well, I think they're saying that in defense of that I don't want you, coach, to think that I'm one of those nut job parents that's going to control everything. But behind the scenes, guys, I will just tell you that all of our research, all the, the, the stories that we hear that are they're anecdotal, but they all add up to saying the parents are deeply involved in the process and the kids are deeply involved in listening to their parents' opinions on the programs that they visited. Um, I will even say that the fact that they chose your school involved some sort of parent interaction that they said no to other schools. And it was probably mom or dad saying, oh, their program's not good enough, or, oh, that's too far away. Honey, I, I'd, be, I'd miss you. I want to pl- see you play your games. Um, I, there, there is parent involvement throughout. And I just think that's a natural sort of, first of all, a natural part of parenting that you, you want to see your, your son or your daughter do well. So there's going to be some involvement um, I would always take the assumption that the parents are going to be deeply involved. I would err on that side versus, well, we probably don't have to involve the parents because dad said that it was his decision. I, you know, the, the athlete is going back to mom and dad at some point and saying, mom, dad, man, this is tough. Where do you think I should go? And our research shows that slight, about 91% of the time, the athlete will get an opinion from the parent and then follow that opinion. So I think they all want to pretend and give the give sort of the the um, the the front that we're going to approach this and it's going to be very logical and it's going to be we're going to let him decide because it's his basketball career or his sports career and he has to choose the college. But at the end of the day, uh, when panic sets in and the pressure's on, mom and dad are saying, "Look, here's what we think you should do." And most of the time, the parent or the the athlete will follow that parent advice. Yeah, and so Dan, to follow up on that, you know, I've had specific instances where a reply or communication coming to me from a recruit, you know, I look at it and I say, you know, thanks for the response, but in the back of my mind, I think the parent wrote this, or um, you know, this is this is a parent wanting to know how how interested am I really in you know, their daughter because she might not come out and ask me in that way or initiate conversation that way. You know, what's what's the best way to respond in those situations? Well, I think, great question. And, and we've actually, we did about three years ago some research on when, when you get a reply as a coach from an athlete, uh, an athlete's email account, about 40% of the time, that's actually the parent replying as the athlete. and right. But you can sometimes tell because it's a little too well written. It's a little too structured. The questions are a little too, you know, right. Just, more focused on the process. You can yeah, sometimes tell. Yeah. yeah. You can sometimes tell when, um, when the parent has written it. But it's under the athlete's name, and they're not doing anything to say, hey, coach, it's Tyler's mom. No, it's, you know, I'm pretending I'm Tyler. So, yeah, I think that goes to sort of the idea that, that um, parents are, you know, are involved. I think the remedy for you know the question that you, the follow-up question that you just asked was that if if you from the start establish that the mom dad I want to talk to you too, and I'm going to spend time and I'm do a recruiting call with you, especially if you're at a Division three school where mom and dad are probably going to have to make some decisions about how to pay for school or to to do the parent plus loan or to, you know, whatever it is that they're going to have in terms of financial involvement. 
it's insane, in my opinion, not to involve the parents. I think when you do that from the start and you establish yourself and heck, you maybe even tell them, look, we're going to approach this a little bit differently. I want you involved as parents. I want to know what you want for your son or your daughter. We want you involved in coming to the to the games and being involved in the program after they're here. You're a part of this too. When you set that as the standard from the start, I think it's a lot easier then to get the truth out of them later and to separate the two um, moving forward. If you don't do that and it's, um, I only want to talk to your son or I only want to talk to your daughter and the first time you really get to know mom and dad is when they visit campus, boy, you're doing a, an incredible disservice, I think, to yourself because you have probably gone into that recruiting class and you've lost 30, 40, 50% of your potential kids that were in, that could have been interested just because you didn't make a connection with the family before they got to campus. So I think doing that from the start actually is the fix for that. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So Dan, you know, we talked about social media interaction and having our players connect with uh, with recruits via social media and, and having it be a comfortable exchange. Um, how valuable is that? Is is the social media interaction? Are there you know currently platforms that are more uh, more valuable than others? You know, right now for you know for sixteen to eighteen year old um, recruits, or or where should a coach really focus? Um, our attention for social media? I think if, and, you know, I'll, I'll give you some general answers, but my recommendation at the start would be that when you, when you um, formulate your, you know, that, that first call and when you decide to reach out and really dig into, you know, what an athlete's all about and, and starting that communication process, I would ask him or her, what kind of social media are you on now? Because I want to point you in the right direction for following our team. So you'll find a lot of times that, you know, hey, I, I, I'm on Instagram all the time. Here's my account, and I'd love to follow you guys. You'll have other t- kids that will tell you, you know, Coach, I really kind of want to keep that separate. That's my life, and I'd love to follow you on your account, but I don't really, um, you know, I don't want you um, involved with following me, or I want to keep that part private. Um, you'll... And, you know, we talked about parents. Parents are right now, you know, camping out and making Facebook home, which is why all the kids have left, and now they're on (laughs) Snapchat and and Instagram. And so you almost have to take into account, for instance, like when you're on Facebook and you you have a Facebook, you know, team page or fan page for your your recruits, your fans, your alums, um, that should... I believe really be focused towards the parents and the recruits because that I'm sorry the parents and the alums because that's where they're residing. Um, what you're doing on Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter is much more important to recruits. But I would ask them which platforms they're involved with, and you're going to find that it's there is no constant. They're all they all have their favorites. They all spend uh, different amounts of time on them. Uh, if you ask them, can I direct message you or can we chat through Snapchat? Um, I am going to predict that 50% of your kids would say, yeah, coach, that'd be great. I'm on there all the time, anytime. And half the kids are probably going to say, uh, no, coach, that'd be a little bit creepy. Yeah, I, I don't think we should do that. Let's just stick to email. So right. yeah. everybody's. what we're finding is that everybody's a little bit different. Um, and so there isn't, there isn't one platform that is just universal. If I had to, again, generalize it, I'd say Snapchat and Instagram are sort of the go-tos right now. As we talk here, 
January of 2017, because if you're listening to this and it's two years after the fact, um, there's probably new platforms that we haven't even heard of yet have been uh, started that kids are now on to. So, um, but right now, that's those are sort of the big two. I think they use Twitter, um, and again, I'm generalizing this, but they use Twitter as a way to get news and information about the program, and that's sort of their their news crawl at the bottom of the TV. Um, if you're watching cable networks or news coverage, you always have that crawl at the bottom. Yeah. Um, Twitter is sort of like that. It's it's quick information. It's quick hits. Um, and Instagram is more visual. And I will just say with Instagram and Snapchat, the one little lesson, last thing I'll say about this is that it's instructive, I think, for coaches to see that these kids are very focused on the visual. So what you're doing with the visual side of things tells your story, I think, as effectively as anything. It backs up what you're writing in the letters or what you're saying on the phone. So if you're talking about on the phone or in, in, in those hard copy letters that we talked about, you sent those to kids, and you're talking about what a great team atmosphere and your team is a family, well, you need to offer some visual proof. And if they're seeing that on Snapchat and on Instagram, then that backs up what, they're, the, what you've tried to make the case for in writing. Extremely valuable to do that. Um, and so I would just, you know, add into the fact that it's a great way to visually tell your story. Um, and I think you do that both from the coach's perspective as well as what we talked about earlier, as well as letting the athletes have some time to, to share it from their point of view. So Thad, your, your last question would be what? Uh, my last question involves early FAFSA, something that um, a lot of universities are, are working with and learning about this first year. Uh, Owen had a question that involved, you know, involved FAFSA timelines, but um, how or has talking about affordability with families changed because of the early FAFSA timelines? Right. And with early FAFSA, and, and maybe before I answer this, Owen, if you want to um, jump back in and maybe give your perspective from the men's side, what are you hearing this year more so than, than earlier years in regards to sort of making a decision early and everything? You know, we have not seen a huge difference this year in timeline. I think um, what I have historically heard from our recruits is that they're going to decide after their season. And I, I believe that is uh, optimism that they're going to play their way into scholarship and not wanting to make an early commitment because they think they're going to earn money with how they play. Uh, some do, but I think that's pretty rare. Is this 2017 um, or 2018 kids that you have in mind when you're saying this? Yeah, so that would be like 2017 kids okay, playing so wait until the conclusion of their season to find out if they can play their way into a basketball scholarship offer. Right. So that dictates our timeline, I think, as much as the as the early FAFSA does. Okay. So how I would answer this, Thad, the yeah. the I think when we say about early FAFSA, it's the technical term is prior prior year or PPY. So those would be the terms that other coaches would be familiar with as well. What I think it has done, or certainly will do with the classes of 2018-2019s, as we sit here now, the juniors and the sophomores is that it's going to prompt earlier decisions. With, with non-full, scholarship, non-full athletic scholarship programs, what coaches always heard was, hey coach, you know, here we are in, in November, December, January, I can't make my decision yet, I need my FAFSA numbers 
um, and I'm waiting on those. Well, those didn't come until mid-April, early May, late May, and it would take the process very, very late. What FAFSA has done now with changing it to you're able to use your prior year's taxes, so really your taxes from two years ago you're able to use in the early fall of a senior year to get your full numbers um, and to know by October 1 potentially to turn in those numbers and get very early decisions. I think it has moved the entire process back six months. So what you, what my prediction is that you're going to see that is you're start you're going to start seeing if you aren't already a lot of kids um, starting to take the the college process really seriously from about the last half of their junior year, so January through June, they're going to start doing campus visits. They're going to start, you know, whittling their list down. They're going to start figuring out who's serious about me and who am I hearing from, and and they'll take a spring visit or six, and sure. and then. I think the thinking that we're hearing that's going to happen is that in late August through September, I may go back to two or three schools and do more of an official visit, or maybe I'll stay overnight, or I'll just take another hard look and and whittle it down by then so that I'll be ready by in October or before Thanksgiving to make my final decision and to take advantage of some schools' early decision offers um, or just... The other, you know, different benefits that they would see is from an early decision. Because I think if when you have smart kids and good athletes, everything in our culture says that if you're a good athlete and you're a smart kid, you should know where you're going to school sooner rather than later, earlier rather than later. And the process before wasn't really built for that. It was um, none of your official decisions and none of the facts can be known until late in the process. And so it was this it was this pull like gosh I want to commit early I don't want to wait until May to know where I'm going to go to school of uh, my senior year I want to know earlier and so FAFSA has sort of accommodated that the kids now are able to say good I can I can decide where I'm going early in the year be able to tell my friends enjoy the last half of my senior year and uh, and and have this have this process done I think the implication for coaches is that if you aren't recruiting your junior class hard the, as soon as you can that you know that um, summer of their junior year or if you're in NAIA school even earlier than that I think that you're setting yourself up at a disadvantage if you start recruiting them the summer after or the summer um, after the summer leading into their senior year you're going to be way far behind other teams that will have been more proactive and uh, in preparation for them making an early decision because now they can actually have that that decision officially done. I also think you're going to see schools start to cater to those early decisions um, more and offering uh, early decision incentives uh, and offering you know and prompting kids to not wait. Um, because they're going to start to see what some of their competitors are doing and they'll want to match it. And so I think overall, especially into the class of 2018, certainly by 20, the class of 2019, you're going to see a lot, of, uh, a lot of kids taking their visits early and the decisions coming earlier. And for smaller schools like Division Three and AIA, even some Division Two, it's going to start mirroring what they've seen at Division One now for years where if you're a D1 soccer coach, a women's soccer coach, and we have several of them as clients, you've been done with your 2018 class for a year and a half. Um, we have a gymnastics client that is 
really trying to contact junior hires because that's what they that's in their world you know you just make a decision really early um which brings up the whole debate about you know do you, you know, how early should we recruit and is it too early and but putting that as debate aside that's where it is right now and so to compete successfully i think you have to um you have to recruit and make contact early with the assumption that they're going to want to take a visit in the spring of their junior year and then make a decision early in their senior year. And so so then for us, you know, with that prior topic about asking recruits if they're ready for their for their decision or ready to make a decision, then we just right. accelerate all those timelines. I do because, for instance, if you were to ask that as a junior, mm-hmm. um, and again, you have to be ready for yes, so I'm not saying ask this of everybody, but for the kids that you really want, if their answer is ah, no, coach, um, but you know, so here's where I'm at, uh, and maybe that's the thing that that puts you on the list for that early campus visit. And because I, I, the other question or topic that we could probably spend another thirty minutes on is, uh, do how how does a junior or sophomore, anybody, any underclassmen, figure out which schools they're going to visit because they have limited time. Mom and dad have limited resources. They can't fly and drive around the entire country looking at schools. So how do they whittle it down? Well, we know that two of the factors are, number one, am I hearing from the head coach? So am I important enough to them that the head coach is recruiting me and not the assistant coach? Right. And number two is have they asked me to commit or have they indicated that there's going to be some sort of incentive or financial offer um, or have they asked me to commit and I know they're serious about me. Those tend to be the things that get you into that final group. So by doing that as a junior, again, with the kids that you're ready to hear yes from, uh, I would say that you stand a better chance of getting them actually to visit campus because you're one of the schools that's serious about them. No, that's great. Okay, our last coach up for this session of three-on-three is Garrett McLaughlin. And uh, Garrett, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you ask the three questions and just start it off with question number one. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Um, First one, um, you know, I've started out my career as a student assistant at the FBS level, um, you know, worked three years, or sorry, four years at Division three. last year Division two, and now I'm back at the, the FCS level of football. So um, one question I'm trying to figure out for myself is what's the, the biggest difference in recruiting um, by level in terms of what the kids are looking for or anything else? I think that's a great question. Here's how I would approach it and have any coach that, especially since you have some experience at other levels, Garrett, uh, I think the first thing is understanding the perspective of where the athlete's view of all this is. Uh, They have very clear distinctions between levels, especially in in football and your sport. That's a – that's – the expectations and the definitions between level – Fair or not fair is huge. And so for the, the, the kids that you're recruiting uh, one step below uh, the, you know, the top Division I level, I, you're not, there's not a big distinction between the types of athletes that you're recruiting versus the ones that are getting recruited by the, the major conference schools. And if it is a difference, it's a, it's a very slight difference. So 
the kids look at this and say, hey, I could play D1. Well, they may be lumping D1 together, or they may be saying uh, there's, a, there's a big difference between uh, you know, one, one level of Division I and the, and the next level of Division I. So the first thing that I would say you have to be aware of, or any coach has to be aware of, is that these kids are going to approach you differently than they would, let's say, uh, a Power Five conference school in Division One football. It doesn't mean that they will not consider you. It doesn't mean that they're not going to be interested. But as you are probably finding out, and a lot of coaches at that level, and I'll also throw Division Two into that level, are, are finding out that when you talk to these top kids, they're all hoping and gunning for those those you know the offers from the Power Five schools. Um, even if they're not going to be in line for that, that's in the back of their mind. They're saying, look, if I if I just bench more, if I have a good season, if, 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 then I'm going to get the attention of a coach and I'll get my shot. And I would just, the first thing I would recommend is to be patient with them and understand that it's going to take longer to get those kids to commit versus the ones that are clearly, you know, an inch or two shorter than what's typical for their position at a power five school, or they're, they are two tenths of a second or three tenths of a second slower on their 40 than they would be at a power five school. Um, I, I want you to be patient with them because they're just going to take longer to come to the realization that they can't play at that level. And I, I decided to start my answer with that because I think if you accept that to be true, it affects everything else that you do Every other aspect of your communication revolves around this idea that in the back of their minds, you aren't good enough for them. And again, I'm not going to fault them for that. I'm not going to, and I would encourage you not to blame them or to do what I've heard some coaches do, which is to say, well, fine, if you don't want to, if you're not interested in us, then we're not going to be interested in you. I think you almost have to expect most of these kids not to be interested in who you are, what you have to offer, because it's not what they've been seeing on ESPN. It's not what they have grown up dreaming about. Now, it doesn't mean that they could settle in later and be a great fit, but at this point, especially at the start of the process, you don't fit what they've defined, in your case, college football to be all about. And we're talking specifically for your sport football. That applies to soccer, baseball, lacrosse, track and field. The whole thing, it's that definition that a student athlete has in their mind so from a practical standpoint, what I'd see sort of playing out is when you reach out to those prospects that are getting some some higher level D1 interest, I wouldn't expect a conversation right away. I wouldn't expect them to be interested. I would even expect them to get back to and say, hey, coach, that's great that you've, you're interested, but I'm getting recruited. I'm using my air quotes there. I'm getting recruited by these three other D1 schools. I'm going to this camp over the summer, so I think I'm set. I think I'm going to go to one of those D1 schools. Well, you and I know that they may or not may or may not be in line for something at those schools, but they're probably not. And, and so later on, they're going to be um, players that are going to be more receptive. So you have to plan out for the longer term. And that includes, I think, the messaging uh, that you have to plan out. If, if it, it might take eight or nine months for this kid to really get interested in us and to see that we're the most interested in him, so what is the plan from a messaging standpoint to extend that conversation over eight or nine months? Are you Have you figured out a way to tell them enough things to keep them interested? Because I think what happens with football players is 
if it's just fluff, if it if if a program sends out something or a series of things that really it's you know it's mainly graphics, it doesn't really promote a conversation. They'll look at it, they'll read it, and they'll they'll set it aside, toss it away. Um, you should want messaging that that gets them to read it and to hopefully interact with you, or at least understand they see you wanting to interact with them, which I think in the first month of recruiting doesn't really impress them. But by the time it's the seventh month of recruiting and everybody else has run out of things to say, and if you are then still the program that has uh, consistently, every six to nine days, every two weeks at a minimum, gone out with something to say, here's why you should come play for me at my program. Here's why we are the good choice. Here's why athletically you're smart to choose us and make the case. Then I think you've got um, a shot. So the biggest difference, again, first point I would make is the biggest difference in division levels or levels of play is that the lower sort of the the level you are on the, the hierarchy, the longer it's probably going to take to attract the best kids to your school. And there's going to be some that are clearly, you know, matched great based on their size and speed and athletic talent for your uh, for your particular school, your conference, your division level. Uh, and so I'm not really talking about those kids because those are the easy ones. The ones that I think I find most difficult for um, the subdivision as well as Division Two in football is that that kid that probably could play D1. Don't know if they're going to. They're on the bubble. Uh, those are the ones that I think you you have to sort of pay special attention to. So I'll throw it back to you. Does it, from a if you have follow up questions on that, let me know because I gave you one sort of core point. But if you want to ask a follow up on that first question, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I mean, when I guess do you expect those guys? And I, I guess maybe it's different for everybody. But when you kind of expect those guys to to become more receptive and is there a way to to kind of educate them about the the timeline and how that process works that won't turn them off to your school right you can't be the one to 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 kill the dream and yet how do you be the reality check i i think Garrett, that the first thing i would do is communicate to them that you are okay if uh if they're they're going to take a while let them know that you're okay with that. Let them know that, in fact, hey, I understand. And once they tell you the list of schools they think they're going to go to or who else is recruiting them, yeah, compliment them. That's fantastic. Um, I think you can play at that level. That's why we're recruiting you because we typically recruit guys that, that are also looking at those other schools or types of schools that you just mentioned. And I wanted to let you know I'm going to be a coach that's perfectly fine with you taking your time and um, and you know going through the process. Um, so I'm okay with that. So I think let them know, first of all, that you're not going to pressure them to make a decision. Because first of all, you can't. And second of all, you don't want to, like I said, kill the dream. So be the coach that's easy to talk to that, again, you're, you're playing this for the longer, um, uh, for, the, uh, for the, the, you're playing it for the end of the game. I mean, we're just coming off of probably the, the greatest, uh, one of the greatest college football games played uh, between Clemson and Alabama. You know what, Clemson was down you know, in the second half to start, I they weren't panicking. Um, you know, they they were making adjustments along the way. They were positioning themselves for a win at the end of the game, and that was successful. And I think any football coach, if you 
if you go three and out and punt your first drive, it's not like everybody takes their headsets off, walks away, and says, well, we're not going to get this one. It's just out of, we just can't move the ball on them. No, of course not. You make adjustments, and you, you play for how do we position ourselves to win at the end of the game. This is the same philosophy that I'd want a football coach to take or anybody that competes uh, at a slightly lower level than the top Division I programs. Uh, you have to get these kids ready to say yes to you at the end, knowing all, all along that they're going to not be as interested as they, uh, they should be probably at the beginning of the process. So communicate that to them. They say, hey, it's a long process. We know um, you're going to take those visits. I want you to take those visits. Um, and over time, I'm going to be explaining why we're going to be really hard to say no to in the end. That's the general approach that as we work with football clients or also lump men's basketball, which is also very competitive uh, just from a recruiting talent standpoint, that's the strategy that we have seen work best uh, to, to use. Um, and as far as the win, typically as we get into you know after signing day, that's when, if they're a senior, it starts to become reality that okay, this isn't going to happen. And you know, again, the the benefit of of being the per, the the patient coach, the one that continues to communicate with them, and they have their heart broken on signing day. It didn't come through with the big time BCS uh, Power Five school conference uh, school that was talking to them or had them on a list or invited them to camp. When that when the when the the floor falls out and they're left saying okay now what they will immediately gravitate towards you in most cases as you know what you'll start to hear after signing day hey coach it's me Josh um, yeah I, you know I, I don't know if you're still interested but I do really want to talk to you it didn't work out at you know these two or three power five schools or this other D one school that I thought was going to pan out so now I'm ready to talk. And I don't, I think there's this, I've heard coaches say things like, well, if a, if a kid doesn't want to be here, if they don't, if they know we're not right for them, then I don't want to talk to them. Or, or I, that's the kid I don't want in my program. I would say, come on, coach. First of all, these kids are being led through the process by people who don't know how to go through it, mainly their parents and their high school coaches or club coaches or private coaches or that have ulterior motives behind wanting them to go to certain schools. So don't blame the athlete. I think athletes fall in love with schools after they commit to them. Um, and so don't expect them to fall in love with the school right away. Uh, it's a little bit of a business decision for them as it is for you. And so just be the one that is there that has kept the line of communication open. Because in your sport, in football, what typically happens is the kid's a dreamer. He's got his three favorite schools in mind and is convinced he's going to go to one of them. All the other coaches slightly below that get frustrated. They leave, and they're off somewhere else. The three schools don't pan out. The kid panics, looks around. Nobody's there. You know what? I'm going to end up at a junior college. I'll just go play JC ball and then transfer after two years. And you look, I've had, I can't tell you, I can't tell you the number of, of football and men's basketball coaches, and I'll throw women's basketball coaches into this, that seven months, eight months, 12 months later, they look at a JC roster and say, whoa, he ended up there. I thought, I thought he was going to one of these three schools. What happened? Well, the scenario that I just described is the thing that typically will play out. And I just don't want that to happen to coaches. And there's no reason for it to happen. It's just, I, I want you to be a little bit strategic in the approach that you take um, in, in terms of how you compete with some of those upper level programs. So 
hopefully that that answers the uh, the the question. And I'll throw it over to you to to ask question number two. Yeah, no, that was great. Um, thanks a lot. That that makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess the next one that I have is, you know, as a, again, FCS football program, you know, we have scholarships, but it's important for us to recruit non-scholarship athletes as well. Um, and, and what's the, the best way to, to go about getting kids who are, are, are merit or, you know, again, non-athletic scholarship players um, when it might be less expensive to, to go to a, a Division three school and um, you know, it's closer to home or whatever else. What's the best way to approach right. um, recruiting non-scholarship players at scholarship place? Right. Uh, great question. I think there's there's two sort of aspects to this approach that I would maybe throw at you for consideration. The first one being that uh, I think you need to communicate to them that just because you're not offering them a full scholarship or any scholarship doesn't mean you don't want them or that they don't deserve it. Um, I think that that kids and their parents, as they as they go through the process and get to know a coaching staff, one of the things that they use as a criteria to judge, okay, how interested are they in me and and us and them, they will look and say, well, you know, what are they offering? That's that's the go-to, as you know, in in football or basketball or any in most sports. That's the go-to. What are they offering? And they're putting a value judgment on there to to sort of rank and evaluate you on how seriously they should take you. So I think one of the first things that could be communicated in your at your level, as well as D two, that's maybe only going to offer a partial, or D three that offers nothing but maybe some academic money, is to communicate to them that. It's not that I don't want you. If we had a full roster of full scholarships, you would be a guy that would be getting a full scholarship. But we just don't have it. So I think lay that on the table that it's not a a matter of worth because that's how they're evaluating it. So you really do need to communicate to them that's not what this is all about. It's about that we we don't have you know that big pot of money that some schools do. Doesn't mean that we don't want you. Doesn't mean that this isn't a great um, uh, a great yeah, possible place for you to, to have a fantastic college career. It's just that we don't have the money, but it's not that you don't deserve it. If I could give it to you, you would be a guy who should be getting a full scholarship. And that sort of diffuses this defensive attitude that we see some prospects and their parents have, which is, you know, what, you don't think my son's worth it? Or you don't think, you know, he's worked just as hard as these other kids. Why isn't he getting it? And the thing that you can come back with that we have found really effective is, we just, you know, it's not that we don't want you. We want you, and you deserve a full scholarship, but we don't have it to give. Now, that kind of puts the ball in their court a little bit because if they need a full scholarship to go to college, you may not be the place that they're going to play college football at. And that's not anything that you've done wrong. It's not anything that the school's done wrong. It's just that their situation doesn't match what the school is set up for. Much better to know that at the start of the process than you know, sort of play this game and this dance throughout, you know, the next couple of months where they don't, uh, it ends up being that they they can't, they can't go there in the end because you didn't offer them enough money. Um, so that's, that's, I think, an effective strategy to communicate to them uh, ahead of time. The other thing is that I would, if I was a college football coach and I wasn't offering or able to offer all full-ride scholarships, I would, at the start, ask the parents 
to as one of the first steps in, in getting to know us in the relationship is to ask them to fill out the net price calculator on our website because that's going to help you know our you know our financial aid staff and our football staff know how much you're going to be able to get and so we can put a total package together. Um, not enough college coaches do that because when you have them fill out the net price calculator and let's just say at your school, uh, the school that they're getting recruited to, uh, it comes back that they're going to that their family contribution amount, the expected family contribution, is going to be uh, fourteen thousand dollars. Just to pick a, a random number out of the year, after everything is considered, they're going to have to pay fourteen thousand. Once you know that, you're now able to go to them and say, "Okay, well, look, we still here. We are. You're in your junior year." Um, we're not able to, you know, put everything together right away, and we're not, you know, not necessarily asking you to commit right now. But if you ended up, if the numbers ended up being there around fourteen thousand that you had to pay, is that something that your family is prepared to invest into coming to play for our program? Is that within the budget that you've set for college? Because once you ask that question, it's either yes or no, and. If it, you'll get the reaction of, hey, you know, Coach, yeah, it is. It's in the ballpark. And I was, you know, they ends up that, you know, through financial aid and other things, you know, you're, we're going to get about 22, but we're going to have to pay 15. Um, so, yeah, I think we can do that. That's, that, that was, I was really happy with that. Or you're going to hear, Coach, no, that's, you know, that's way too much. I mean, the most we could pay is three or 4,000. Well, it kind of, it tells you that, this may be a kid that isn't a good fit for our school. And again, to know that at the start, even though it would kill you to take their name off the board because what they did in their their postseason, those two playoff games, he ran the ball so well, he'd be a perfect fit for our offense. If they can't afford it, and if it's outside by that much, outside of their budget, I don't know that I would have you invest the time it's going to take to go and meet with the family, meet the, the coach, meet... Because at the end of the day, it's if it's not a full-ride scholarship situation, they're going to have to buy into the ability to pay for part of the school. And so I just think as you approach those kids and you know, when the discussion of money comes up, I would encourage you to have it earlier. And certainly, like on the website, there's a lot of articles we've done on talking to parents about money. We've done webinars uh, on that as well, uh, about you know talking about money as well as some some past podcasts. So there's a lot of resources to to access on how to do that. But I think you bring up if you're a coach, bring up the money conversation as early as possible because it will give you more of the ability to take a strategic view towards towards uh, their recruiting process. And it's also something that we know parents want to talk about sooner rather than later. And most coaches are. Are kind of scared about talking about money, not bringing it up, and I just don't want you to be scared of it. Um, I want you to to look at it and say this is one of the first things we need to establish to see if we're at least in the ballpark. Because if we're not, then it may not be worth it to pursue that athlete. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, that's kind of the biggest thing that I struggle with is the conversation of well, you know, you haven't offered how much do you really value this kid versus, you know, Division Three, which can offer, but can love them up and do all right, those right. things. Um, but I think that uh, that's a good, it's a good route to take there. Um, I guess my, my last question then um, would be, you know, I've, I've recruited New York State um, my whole career, but I'm probably moving into a new area to recruit 
um, as well. Um, you know, what challenges do you kind of see um, in recruiting an area that, that you're not necessarily used to? Um, and what do you think are the best ways to, to overcome those? Yeah, another great question. Uh, your three strong questions to to end your uh, um, to, to end your segment. Um, here's what I would say, and I'm gonna I'm, I may give you an answer that might not take it the direction that you were expecting, but one of the things that uh, that I have heard from, and we've gotten feedback from club and high school coaches, is that they have generally a negative view towards most college recruiters. I think most, especially in your sport, for basketball, football, high school coaches typically have the view that, you know, they aren't, you know, these coaches don't um, uh, don't take enough time to get to know us. They only come in when we have a good player. Um, they've, they've learned enough about a college coach and what they've done wrong in terms of recruiting at their high school. So I think the opportunity for you to come in fresh is to be somebody that communicates and part of what I would do if you know when I went out to a new school as a new football coach to say look you don't know me and I don't know your school very well but here's what I'm going to tell you we're going to be taking your school your program your athletes uh, as seriously as anybody else it does in New York state now I'm going to and, and I'm going to take the time to prove that to you so the first thing that I want to do is you know a b and c at your school um, the what makes a high school football coach happy or to look at your program positively, it is such a low bar to clear. It's so easy to do it, and yet football coaches get distracted. They don't they don't look at it as building you know business contacts. It's more viewed towards oh, I got to go out to that school again, or oh that coach called me on somebody I don't really want to return his call. Be the coach. I, I hate to boil it down to something so simple. Be the coach that's nice to them. And just be more professional. So when you visit a school afterwards, if again, if I was going out into a new area and I was a, a football recruiting uh, recruiter and a football coach at the college level, I would be um, focused on: uh, Did I compliment the coach in front of his players? Did I offer something maybe to his team that other other coaches don't? So, for instance, if you're at a if you're at a campus and you know you're going to be at a campus, offer to the coach, hey, if you get your team together for 15 minutes, you know, I'd love to let them know that you brought a, brought us in and you know, that you're sort of providing something uh, for them. And, and I'll give a little 10 or 15-minute talk on five things that they need to do to prepare themselves to play college football. And that'll be just sort of something that I'll give away for free for your team, coach. Not many coaches do that. If I was a college recruiter, that's one of the first things that I would offer because I know what every Nearly every college coach is going to say is absolutely. I'll, yeah, I'll gather them together. I'll bring some pizzas in. That'd be great for you to do. And when you do that, compliment the coach in front of his players. Tell them, hey, you guys play for a great program. We like this you know, school because coach is doing it the right way. Make him feel good. Uh, and then I would probably, you know, talk when I talk to the players. Um, I, I Most most coach, uh, most college coaches, when they're visiting a high school campus, they meet in the counselor's office or they meet in the coach's office in the gym or they sort of sequester themselves away. If I was a college football coach and I was on a high school campus, I would be wearing, first of all, my, my school colors and my school logo, and I would have that meeting in the middle of the cafeteria 
at lunchtime, maybe off to the side so that I could talk one-on-one with the player, but I would want the entire school looking at me and whoever the player was because after I left, after that you know little meeting was done, or if it was even with two or three or four players, have them set aside because when I leave, I know that all their friends and the whole school is going to be talking and coming over to them. So who was that coach? Where were they from? Are they, oh, they're recruiting you. Wow. And to go away with that buzz versus everybody else who maybe is a little bit quieter and, and doesn't make as much of a show out of it, um, I think that uh, that that was that's just something that that you're 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 not doing well. When I was a high school football coach, and this is now going back years and years ago, uh, we had a couple of good players on our team when I was coaching in California. And uh, one of the recruiting visits that happened was from Pete Carroll at USC. And I could just tell you that Pete Carroll, when he came to the school, uh, spent time taking pictures with the staff. He walked around campus. And this was, you know, this was a, a, a smaller school or medium-sized school. So there wasn't, he wasn't going to get a lot of other, uh, uh, a lot of other um, uh, players from it. But for the two or three that he was looking at, he wanted to make an impact so that everybody's going to look at this kid. And if he didn't go to USC, why the heck not? I mean, Pete Carroll was here and he was a great guy. And you know, the, it's so easy, I think, to sway the opinions and feelings of the people around the student that, um, and including their friends, that I think you should take it. So I think even though you might not look at yourself as the big time Power Five conference uh coach that is, you know, um, wearing the impressive logo at at the great school that everybody, it was in a bowl game that uh, people are going to get excited about, I would still play it up. And just the fact that they were talking and getting recruited by a coach, um, I think is, you know, and that they're doing that in public, I think is, uh, is, it works to your benefit. And again, you know, for the coach, leave him with something that made him feel good about the visit and prove to him that you're going to be better than other past coaches were at, at communicating, recruiting, and, and, uh, and being accessible for their program. Uh, that really is the simple secret. That is what high school coach after high school coach has told us they want out of coaches. It's not a lot, but most coaches do such a bad and inconsistent job at communicating with college, uh, I'm sorry, with high school coaches and their programs on a consistent basis that the, those high school coaches get frustrated and at worst are neutral and don't recommend the program. And it, and, and it can even go farther back to say that they will negatively talk about the program in front of, uh, in, in front of their, um, uh, their their prospects, or, sorry, their players and the players' parents. So for any of those three questions, any follow-up questions that I can answer as we end the session? Oh, I'm, try- I'm trying to think. That was really interesting insight into the, the, the brain of a, a high school um, football coach. And I like what you were saying about making things unique there. I'm trying to think, um, but I, I think you, you answered it pretty thoroughly. Um, there, Dan. Um, really appreciate you having me on. I, I can tell you that um, for a while now, um, it's been your website and all the stuff that you put out has been mandatory uh, lunchtime reading for me. Um, so really cool to, to be on here with you. And um, you know, I, I definitely think I, I just got better getting those three questions answered. So so thank oh, you for that. I, I, 
I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I, I appreciate it. Uh, and and um, there there is for any coach that hasn't been to the website at dantutor.com, as Coach McLaughlin just mentioned, there's a lot of free resources. There are a lot of tools that we just put out there because we want coaches to be better, and we um, we we want to give them the tools. And there's a lot. I mean, it can go pretty deep. And certainly, when we work with coaches on a client basis, it gets really specific to a school and. The science gets very exact, but even if you're not at that point yet of having us work with you, um, just to become a better recruiter, the, the tools are out there. It's, most of it costs uh, little or nothing, and um, it's, uh, we, we appreciate being part of the, uh, the lunch hour of any coach's day. Uh, and and you know, all three coaches, I think, in this session asked great questions, and I think it shows that coaches are smart and they're hungry and they want to do it the right way. So um, I appreciate you being a part of it too, Garrett. Uh, and um, and man, I hope I hope we were able to keep helping you. And, and thanks for being on today. That was great. All right, that is going to wrap up the show. We want to thank our three guests: Coach Sankey, Coach Handy, and Coach McLaughlin. Great questions. Thank you for being a part of our first ever three for three. For everybody else, go to dantutor.com for all sorts of resources and for the conference registration. And until next week, we hope you have a great week out there recruiting, Coach. 